as the band keeps playing, I want to read to you Luke chapter 2, sorry, Luke chapter 1, the birth of John the Baptist. It says, when it was time for Elizabeth to have her baby, she gave birth to a son. Her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown her great mercy, and they shared her joy. You know, I don't know who this is for this morning, but some of you have had things birthing inside of you, and it's time to birth it. It's time to bring it about. Some of you, maybe there's a certification, maybe there's a job, maybe there's something that you've been wanting to go after, but you haven't. And God wants me to tell you this morning, it's time to go after it. Whether it's starting your own company, whether it's trying to mend a relationship. Because he says, I've been growing this thing in you. He says, it's time to go after it. I don't know what that is for you or what that means for you. But you know what happens? Your real friends, your real neighbors, it says they rejoiced with her. They were happy for her. And your real friends and your real neighbors will rejoice with you. And they'll be happy for you. And you can go on about your way and they'll be there to support you. Whether it's overcoming an addiction, whatever it is. And God wants you to know this morning that he's burst something inside of you. And it's time to go after it. It's time to achieve it. It's time to move forward in what God has called you to do. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you that you've called us to move forward with whatever you've placed inside of us. That idea for a company, the feeling of a need to mend a relationship, whatever it is that God has placed inside of us, Lord, we thank you that you're going to move in us through the power of the Holy Spirit to accomplish what you would have us to accomplish. And Lord, we'll know that birthing a new idea and giving birth to things is not easy. But, Lord, there is love, there is joy, there is excitement, and and our friends will rejoice with us. And in the birth of this thing you've placed inside of us, we'll find out who our real friends are. We'll find out who the real people that are for us, who they really are. Lord, and we praise you and we thank you for the new thing that you're doing in our life this Christmas season. In Jesus' name, everybody said amen, amen. You may be seated. I am excited this morning. Um, I, I don't know about you. I know that Christmas time can be, for a lot of people, Christmas time can be a time that is uh, depressing, frustrating, seeing family members that you don't always get along with. But I believe that Christmas time can be one of the best times. I know for me personally that Christmas time is just, you can ask my wife, I get giddy like every day. And you can hang out with me. She lives with me for about a month for Christmas, and I think that does her for an entire year. And then she's like, okay, that Tyson needs to go away. Put him back in the closet with the trees. Um, Because a little bit of me during Christmas time goes a long way. Uh, But what can I say? This week we watched a very famous Christmas cartoon. And this particular Christmas cartoon... uh, Charlie Brown, right, he's going through and he's trying to find the meaning of Christmas. What is Christmas all about, right? And people tell him, well, it's about the shiny tree, or it's about the bright lights, or it's about whatever it might be. It's about all of these things. In fact, he even gets so frustrated because his own dog, Snoopy, enters a Christmas light contest, right? And he decorates his doghouse and he wins it. And he's going through this entire thing. Well, the backside of that story, Charles Schultz, when he created Peanuts, 
and wrote this. He wrote this show for an appointed period in the show because he wanted to display to the world the meaning of Christmas. He was building up that half-hour show intentionally to one specific point. Charles Schultz was a Christian. Charles Schultz took his faith with Jesus Christ very seriously. In fact, Charles Schultz, who's gone on to be with the Lord, is probably still writing peanuts up in heaven. Um, What you may not know is that Charles Schultz, on the side, instead of writing peanuts, would actually write comic strips for churches and funny things that happen in churches. And so he would do that on the side as well. And so this whole show just built up to this. And I want to show you, in case you haven't seen it, the appointed moment in that show. So here it is. Um, and sound. Not that we don't already have it memorized, but. Okay. Well, you get the idea, right? You get the idea. So go ahead and kill the video. Or don't kill the video. I guess you were right, Linus. I shouldn't have picked this little tree. Everything I do turns into a disaster. I guess I really don't know what Christmas is all about. Isn't there anyone who knows what Christmas is all about? Sure, Charlie Brown. I can tell you what Christmas is all about. Lights, please. And there were in the same country shepherds, abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them. And the glory of the Lord shone round about them. And they were sore afraid. And the angel said unto them, Fear not. For behold, I bring you tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And this shall be a sign unto you. You shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. That's what Christmas is all about, Charlie Brown. That is what Christmas is all about. It was the one point in the show that Charles Schultz was building and building and building and building so that when everyone, when the country would watch the show, they would at least hear the story of Christmas. That was the whole intent of him writing that, that one appointed moment. And so for the next three Sundays leading up to Christmas... We're going to cover that passage of Scripture. And each Sunday, we're going to pull out one thing. And so this morning, if you've got your Bibles, you can turn to Luke chapter 2, verses 1 through 7. Or if you've got your phone, you can go there. If you don't, it'll be up on the screen. But let's just, uh, let's just read this. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria. And everyone went to their own town to register. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, 
to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. And he went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. And while they were there, the time came for the baby to be born. And she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in clothes and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. Here's Mary and Joseph. She's due to have a child, and all of a sudden the governor says, no, there's going to be a census. Everybody go back to your original hometown. Everybody register. And now here's Mary, pregnant. Here's Joseph. They've got to move back. They've got to travel a fairly long way. But in Micah chapter 5, Micah chapter 5, verse 2, it says that the Messiah will be born in Bethlehem. Micah, almost 450 years before Jesus is ever born, prophesies and says, no, the Messiah will be born in this town. So God, in order to fulfill a prophecy supernaturally, has to get the mom back so that he can fulfill prophecy. So that he can be supernatural. So if we're going to do that, i got to get them back. So God wants to do something supernaturally, but he does it naturally. Think about this. What got Mary and Joseph back? Did an angel show up and say, go to Bethlehem? No. An angel didn't show up and say, go to Bethlehem. God used a natural event to bring about a supernatural event. Event. It was appointed, right? How many times in our lives do we just expect God to supernaturally just do a miracle? And God's like, no, I want to do the miracle, but I want to use natural means to do it. I want to supernaturally, right? Supernaturally, I want to fulfill prophecy with Jesus, but I'm going to move you back this way. And I'm going to do it naturally through natural means, right? How many times do we pray, God, I need more money, we're offered overtime, but then we turn it down, right? We're offered a side job, but we turn it down. God, I need more money, but we do, right? God, God, I need a man to make me happy, but you can't make yourself happy. What do you think a man's going to do? A man's just going to put stuff where it doesn't belong and not fold his clothes and leave the toilet seat up. A man's not going to make you happy. If you can't be happy with yourself, trust me. Right? Man, you don't need a woman to me. I, w- I want a woman who's loving and caring. It's going to be a great mom and, you know, all of these wonderful things. But you're trying to find her through an app called Tinder, which is an adult app. I mean, come on. It's an adult dating app. Really? You're going to find it there? I mean, come on. You see, you see what our problem is? We, we want God to do something in spite of ourselves. We want God to just do it so I don't have to fuss with it. I don't have to work for it. But God says, no, 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 no. I'm going to do the supernatural, but I need you to get in line with it. Right? I want to bless my child, but he's going to clean his bedroom first. That's just the way it is. Sorry, Isaiah and Jeremiah. Right? That's just, that's just I, I'm going I'm to bless you, but I need you to do your part. I'm going to bless the world, but Mary and Joseph, I need you to do your part, right? 
We have to trust God with the natural to see the supernatural. If you want God to do supernatural things in your life, then you need to do the natural things to align yourself with the supernatural. That's just the way it works. God says, I've had this plan all along, but I need you to get in line with it. So God takes Mary and Joseph through a natural means, through a census, through a decree. It says, go back to your hometown and register. And I can only imagine Joseph being a carpenter, packing up all these tools, lugging everything back, right? And Mary's pregnant, and she's like, you got to be kidding me. Mm-hmm. Ride that donkey across the desert. You're nuts, right? I mean, it was all I could do sometimes to get Lynn in the car when she was pregnant. And I'm talking about a car with shocks. And air, I, I went too far. Shocks, air conditioning, heating, everything in this car, right? And that was all I could do sometimes. Look, we're just going to go. And, and she loves, she, she, when she, she, I'm writing you out there. She loved Taco Bell. But something happened when she got pregnant. She couldn't even, she'd be like this. Oh, my gosh, I'm getting sick. Every time we pass a Taco Bell, she'd be like, oh, I can't see. Like, she wouldn't even look at Taco Bell, right? But here's Mary, about ready to give birth, and somehow she's got to sit on a donkey or walk across the desert in heat. And you know the desert, deserts are like schizophrenic because in the day it's 120, and at night it drops down to like 30, and it can't make up its mind. I mean, can you imagine being pregnant in that, women? Come on. I mean, that's... And Joseph, with his tools, lugging his... I don't know if it was Milwaukee or Craftsman or what he was lugging around through the desert, but he had to lug it through the desert. There's no trailer hitch on the donkey. He's lugging this stuff. Getting through, right? God's using a natural situation... That I'm sure all of us, and the Bible, I love the Bible, because the Bible doesn't give you a lot of detail on the journey. It's probably best that it doesn't, because you'd find out Mary and Joseph probably were extremely human. Right? Right? I, 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 I didn't want to marry you anyway, and now an angel came and said, I had to marry you, and I'm going to follow you all the way through this desert just to get back. Yeah, well, I'm not, it's not my family that was born in Bethlehem 100 years ago, and I, you know, da, 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 da. And you just imagine this all going all through the desert with this. Right? The Bible doesn't give us any details. But I can tell you this. They were human. All right? They were human. And sometimes God, if he's going to do the supernatural, sometimes he says, hey, I need to get you back. I need to get you back there. You see, sometimes in life, as we grow in life and, you know, maybe, maybe we move, whatever, sometimes God calls us back to our roots. You know what? Sometimes God calls us back to our roots of, of who we are and, and where we came from. And so he calls Mary and Joseph back to their roots. And in Revelation chapter 2, verse 4, God tells the church at Ephesus, one of the seven churches in the book of Revelation, he says, you guys are an amazing church. You guys are doctrinally sound. You, you, you take care of um, 
sick people and the orphans and the widows. He goes, you do a lot of good works. And when you look at the church at Ephesus, it's a pretty impressive church. It's a mega church of the day. And you, you have people like the Apostle John attended the church at Ephesus. Timothy was the pastor. The Apostle Paul founded the church. You have Priscilla and Aquila who were pastors in the church. I mean, this church is like the cream of the crop when it comes to founding fathers of our faith. And it's the cream of the crop. And yet in Revelation chapter 2, verse 4, he says, Hey, Ephesus, you're extremely intelligent. You do a lot of good works, but I have this against you. You left your first love. You left love out of the equation. So I'm telling you right now, you figure out how to get love back in your church because I don't care how intelligent you are or how many good works you do. If you do it without love, it's pointless. And so he tells them, you need to go back to where you started, church. You started this church in love. You started this church in love for the city of Ephesus. You started this for love of people that were in need, but now it's just intelligence and good works all the time. And I don't see any love. And he says, it's time to go back to the love. And so every once in a while in our lives, God calls us back. He says, no, 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 you need to remember this. You need to, you need to take this to account. Sometimes to move forward, you've got to go backwards. And so if God's going to move humanity forward, he's got to get Mary and Joseph back. Right? But what happens? Well, going backward isn't easy. Going back is tough. Going back, you have to go through a fickle desert sometimes, and life doesn't always line up the way you want it to. It's hot during the day and cold at night, and I'm pregnant with this idea, but I don't know what to do with it. And God says, I'm going to birth this thing in you, but you need to go back. Right? you got to go back. Sometimes to move forward, you've got to go backwards. There was, during the Civil War, Sherman was marching through the South, and he had made a decision. He said, the only way that I'm going to defeat the South is if I declare absolute war. And so what does Sherman do? Well, Sherman just starts marching through the South and burning every town to the ground that he goes through with his military. He burns everything. He burns houses. He burns barns. He burns trees. And he just levels everything, starting somewhere um, around Georgia, Alabama, and burns a trail all the way to the Atlantic until he gets to Savannah. And he just burns everything in his path. Absolute devastation, taking out everything that they could use to support themselves. Well, Robert E. Lee hears of this. And so Robert E. Lee goes, starts, he goes back and he starts visiting the towns. And Robert E. Lee starts visiting the houses and the people that have lost everything to Sherman and his men. And he gets to a farm, and this is a true story. He gets to a farm of a widow woman who has lost everything in the fire. The only thing that didn't get burned, and it was a miracle that it didn't, was a small tree. It didn't burn to the ground. It was, I don't know what type of tree it was, but it says that there was a a small tree there. And she goes, General Lee, what am I going to do with my farm? There's nothing left. I can't, I can't grow anything. And, and, and all my livestock are burned and everything is gone. I have nothing. All I have is this tree. And Robert Lee tells her, cut it down. No joke. He tells the only thing that you have living, remove it. Cut it. Get it out. I can't do that. It's all I've got left. 
He says, no. He says, and this is, and I'll quote Robert E. Lee. He says, cut it down, my dear madam, and forget it. Cut it down, my dear madam, and forget it. And then he goes on to tell her, and I'm going to paraphrase the rest of his talk with her, but he essentially says this. He says, you need to remove that tree because when you rebuild, every time you see this tree, you will harbor bitterness and hate for the union. And that tree needs to be removed. She goes, but it's the only thing that survived. He says, cut it down. Plant a new tree there because it's a new day and we're starting over. Some of us need to go back because we're clinging to stuff that we think it's all I've got. It's the only thing that survived the fire. It's the only thing that survived anything. And I think God, in the words of Robert E. Lee, would say, cut it down because you don't need to sit and stare at that thing because it creates bitterness every time you see it. It creates hate every time you see it. You need to remove it from your life. And so sometimes we have to go back and say, okay, what's keeping me from going forward? And we need to look internally and say, okay, that's got to go. Because I honestly believe that as a Christian, things are appointed in our lives. Just like Mary and Joseph might have been griping and complaining because they had to go back to Bethlehem through the desert. But guess what? God used the decree for the census as an appointed moment in their life to get Mary and Joseph back to Bethlehem so that he could... fulfill the prophecy in Malachi chapter 5 verse 2. It was an appointed moment in history, but it was extremely natural. And it was the natural that would bring about the supernatural. And so what happens? Well, when we start looking at things throughout the Bible, you realize real quick, if you, if you start studying Hebrew you realize that in the Hebrew language, there is no word for our English word coincidence. We have the word coincidence. In the Hebrew, there is no word for that. They use one of two words. They use God, or they use the word appointed or appointment. And if I have an appointment, then that assumes that somebody put it on the calendar for it to happen. In Jewish thought, there is no such thing as coincidence. It doesn't exist. And so, when you think about your life, and you think about Mary and Joseph, I want to challenge you this morning with this thought. And I'll challenge you in a few minutes. We're going to go through some Bible verses. First, in 1 Chronicles chapter 9, verse 29. 1 Chronicles 9, 29. It says, Others of them were appointed over the furniture and over the holy utensils and also over the fine flour, the wine, the oil, the incense, and the spices. What's he talking about? Well, they're setting up Solomon's temple. Solomon had built this beautiful temple for God, and the priests, the ministers were coming in. And so some of those that worked in what we today, and for us, we would call it the church. Some of the ministers were appointed to take care of the furniture, the whole utensils, the flour, the wine, the oil. They were essentially to take care of the church and the physical materials in the church. The word appointment there, to be appointed to take care of God's stuff, means to have a specific purpose, to be ordained for a specific purpose. Right? Like, the holidays are coming, and you're going to make a turkey or a ham or something, and you're going to pull out some utensil in the kitchen that you only use during the holidays. It has an appointed purpose, right? 
Somebody once, I, I heard on the radio last week, they said, you know, the difference between Thanksgiving and Christmas, the, the two meals, the Thanksgiving meal and the Christmas meal, the only difference is that at Thanksgiving you eat the turkey, then the ham, and at Christmas you just flip it, eat the ham, and then you eat the turkey. Is that true? Is that pretty much how that works? Some of you are shaking your head. Some of you are like, what does this have to do with the price of eggs? Right? But sometimes in your kitchen, sometimes in the tool shed, sometimes you've got certain things that have appointed purposes. And you know if you use it for anything else, it's not going to work. It has a specific purpose. Well, keep that in mind. That's the word appointment, right? So these ministers were appointed. They have a specific purpose to take care of the church building, the stuff in the church, etc. Now, let's jump ahead several years to the story of Jonah. Now, God told Jonah to go to Nineveh, right? And he said, go tell them that I'm going to destroy the city unless they turn and come back to, and they come to me and I'll forgive them, right? And so Jonah, he doesn't like this idea. Why? Well, because the Jews and the Ninevites don't get along. The Ninevites had actually invaded Israel and taken Jews captive as slaves. And Jonah's like, I'm not going to them and telling them that you're going to destroy them unless they repent. Because they just took us off as slaves. No, not going to happen. In fact, I'm going to jump in a boat and head towards what is now modern day Spain. I'm going to Spain. I'm leaving Israel and I'm going to Spain across the Mediterranean. God's like... Do what you want. I have a plan and I have a purpose, right? So he gets on the boat, storm comes up, right? And if you raised in church, you know the story. If you weren't raised in church, I'll tell you. Uh, the captain of the, of the boat says, why is the storm? What's going on? Well, they find Jonah at the bottom of the boat. He's asleep. And Jonah says, the storm is my fault. Just throw me over the edge. The storm will stop. God's trying to get me to go to Nineveh to warn them that his judgment is coming unless they turn. And they're like, so you did this. <laughs> you know, and they try to offload everything off the boat before, have to, before they have to throw a man overboard. But they throw Jonah overboard, right? And the Bible says in Jonah chapter 1, verse 17, And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. It doesn't say that a whale swallowed Jonah. Can we just clarify that? It says that a fish, and it wasn't just a fish. Some fish swam along and swallowed. It was an appointed specific fish for Jonah to swallow him. Right? It was appointed by God. So then the fish swims back and gets Jonah back towards Nineveh, and the fish... I'm just telling you what the Bible says. Don't shoot me. I'm the messenger. Essentially, the fish vomits up on the beach, outrolls Jonah. And I just, in my mind, I picture this dude who's like fishing, right? And here comes this big old fish that he didn't catch that's not on his line. And here comes it. Sound effects. You like that? And so Jonah comes rolling out, and he's probably got seaweed all over him. His skin is probably white, ate up from the acid in the belly of the fish. His clothes are all acid and bleached. And he's like... Where's Nineveh? And the dude fishing is like. There. Right? 
reels a pole in, is like, I'm not catching anything out of this water, <laughs> and walks off. And Jonah then heads to Nineveh, and he tells them. And then what happens? Well, they all repent. They all turn back to God. And God kind of gets on Jonah. He goes, you're ticked about this. He goes, but I'm telling you right now, and this is exactly what the Bible says. He goes, there's 150,000 people in that city that don't know their right hand from their left. Should I not care for them also? And so Jonah goes, and he, he tells him, and then I love Jonah because Jonah tells him, and then he walks away, and he goes up to a cliff looking down on the city, and he sits there. He's thinking God's going to get him. Don't, how many of you, let's just be honest, as a church, don't lie. Sit back sometimes and just wait for God to zap your enemies. Let's be truthful. Sometimes, yeah, see, there's, yeah, all right, there we go. It's truthful, right? You're like, ah, they're going to get them. Guess what? I had news for you. Your God's a loving, gracious, merciful God. And sometimes the greatest revenge God has is bringing them into his kingdom so that they see the world the way you see the world. I'm just throwing that out there for something to think about. So Jonah sits back on the cliff, and let's read um, what happens in Jonah chapter 4, verses 6 through 8. Now the Lord God, uh-oh, here's this word again, appointed a plant and made it come up over Jonah that it might be a shade over his head to save him from his discomfort. So Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant. But when dawn came up the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the plant so that it withered. And when the sun rose, God appointed a scorching east wind, and the sun beat down on his head of, head of Jonah so that he was faint. And he asked that he might die and said, it is better for me to die than to live. That's a depressed guy right there, right? So what happens? Well, Jonah sits back. God appoints a plant to protect him from the hot sun in the desert. And when everything's going good, Jonah's like, that's God. Stuff starts going bad. Jonah starts griping. What's wrong, God? Why aren't you here? Because when you're here working on my life, everything's going good. And God's like, no, 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 no. I appointed the worm to kill the plant because I appointed the plant to give you shade. But since you're still waiting on me to zap them and not show them love, I'm going to destroy the plant. And then I'm going to appoint a hot east wind to come and scorch you. Not literally, but figuratively, right? And here's the funny thing. Three times this word appointed is used, and two times it's a negative situation in Jonah's life. But yet it was appointed by God to grow him, to teach him. The same word appointed applied for the good, and it applied for the bad in his life. God appointed the priest to minister in the church. God appointed the fish to swallow Jonah. God appointed the plant. God appointed the worm. And God appointed the scorching heat. And you've probably never thought about this as a child of God, but your problems are appointed ministers in your life. Your problems are appointed ministers in your life. You don't think it was a problem to go back through the desert back to Bethlehem? That's an extremely inconvenient problem. But it was appointed by God because God had something greater he was going to work out of it. Your problems in life, your tire going flat, I don't know. Maybe it's appointed by God because God wants you to learn something from it. And God says, I'm in this with you all the way. And whether it's good and I'm making a plant grow up to provide shade or I'm sending a worm to destroy it, trust me on this. I have a plan and I have a purpose. And I'm going to appoint moments in your life 
where you think I'm not even there. Why? Because I'm going to grow your faith. You just stand tall, stay firm, and keep pushing forward. Right? Do you think Mary and Joseph didn't give up and go, oh, I've got to go back to Bethlehem. There's no way I can have a baby in Nazareth now because the Messiah is supposed to be known as a Nazarite, but we're not even from Nazareth. We have to go back to Bethlehem. And then they went from Bethlehem to Egypt. Well, that's even further away from Nazareth. Yet Jesus eventually became known as a Nazarite because when they came back from Egypt, when he was still very young, they moved back to, Naz- um, to Nazareth. So listen, sometimes your problems are appointed ministers in your life, right? For the child of God, whether it's good, bad, neutral, joys, sorrows, problems, victories, defeats, they're all appointed by God to bring you either into a relationship with Jesus or bring you closer to him. I want to leave you with this last verse in Romans chapter 8, verse 28, out of the Living Bible. You guys probably have heard this before. And we know that all that happens to us is working for our good if we love God and are fitting into his plans. All things work together for good for those that love God and are called according to his purpose. That's what another translation says. Everything that happens in your life God is causing it to work. You might have made a horrible decision that cost you something. God says, you know what? That really wasn't my plan for your life, but you made that decision. I'm going to work it out for your good. I'm going to bring good out of it. Sometimes we make decisions. Sometimes we are the guilty party for stuff happening in our life. And God says, well, if you will trust me and walk with me, I'll bring good out of it. Even when there was no place for Mary and Joseph, God had a place for them. They're going back to Bethlehem, no place to go, don't know what's going to happen. And God still had a plan. This wasn't in my notes. I want to share this in closing. And then as the band comes out, I'll go ahead and share this. In Jewish custom, it's extremely rude to go back to your hometown and not stay with your family. It's extremely rude of your family not to allow you in. Even if you've had arguments and you don't get along, in Jewish custom, you stay with your family. So why are Mary and Joseph going to an inn? Why are Mary and Joseph going from the inn to the stable with a bunch of smelly sheep and ox? Because they're supposed to, by Jewish law and Jewish custom, stay with their family. But guess what? Mary's pregnant out of wedlock, and that's an extreme embarrassment to the family. And most theologians believe that they went back to their family in Bethlehem, Joseph's family, and they were shut out, shunned, and turned down by their family. You cannot stay here. What you're doing is not right, because nobody believed that she was pregnant as an act of God, and they were rejected by their own family. And then when they got to the innkeeper, Bethlehem's only, Bethlehem's about 300 people. That's how big Bethlehem was, 300 people. You don't think the innkeeper knew? Especially when Joseph's family lives there? Oh, he knew. I ain't got room for you. Go stay out there with the animals. Whatever happens, however difficult and hard it is, 
however deep the rejection is, God has a plan. So I want to encourage you this morning as we get ready to stand up, that no matter what you're going through and no matter what you're experiencing, God is going to work the supernatural out of your natural circumstance. In Luke 2.7, it says this, And she gave birth to her firstborn, a son, and she wrapped him in clothes and placed him in a manger because there was no room available for them. Let's stand up this morning. As we close, I don't know what the rejection is that you're feeling, and I don't know what the emotions that Christmas time brings, but I can promise you this, that if you stay with God and stay in his plan, he will work it out. Why? Because he promises us that all things work together for our good if we follow and stay with his plan. Oh, it'll be difficult, and it'll be hard, but it will work out. If you're here this morning and you need prayer for anything, I'm going to ask Steve and Bonnie to come forward, and if I can get Aaron and Lori to come down here. And if you would, if you need prayer for anything, whatever it is, if you would just come forward as we close out with song, I would encourage that. If you're here this morning and you don't even know that Jesus, you don't know today that if you were to draw your last breath that you would be in heaven, let's take care of that this morning. Come forward. They'll pray with you. You can accept Christ. Know that if you were to die today, you're going to heaven. Who knows? You can go hang out with Charles Schultz and draw cartoon peanut cartoons. I don't know. But if you, if that's you, I want you to come forward as we close out the song.